Go with me, please, to two openings. Philippians, the fourth chapter, and 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. We've been looking for a few weeks now on a subject we're calling No Worries. No Worries. And our two main texts have been these verses right here, Philippians 4, and then looking over in 1 Peter 5. Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6. Let's notice this. Put it on the screen for us. It says, be careful for what? How much? Now, the word careful here, like we've said before, could be translated anxious. Anxious. Or we might say worried. Don't, we say it like this, be anxious for nothing. Should we take this seriously? So then how much or what is it okay to be anxious about? Your money? Because, you know, I mean, that's, that can get serious sometimes. Certainly your kids. Nobody would find fault with you being anxious about your kids. Right? Well, what does nothing mean? You may say, well, I care about my kids. If you really care about them, you want to do something that will help them. Anxiety will never help them. Worry will never help them. So you're not, you're not part of the solution when you're worrying. Let me go over that again real slow. You're not part of the solution. You're not contributing anything to solving, fixing anything while you're worrying or being anxious, being upset, being scared. Now, this is, you know, we've all done some of this. But if we know better and if we find out from the Lord how to do better, why shouldn't we live that way and not just be conformed to the fearful, worrying world, world's way of doing something, but do it differently? Can you do it differently? Can you make a choice? I'm not going to be anxious about this. I'm going to do something else instead of worry. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What do I do instead of worry? I pray about it. And I don't just pray an unbelieving, vain repetition over and over again, or elsewise you wouldn't get to the thanksgiving. Right? You pray about it. With what? Well, with thanksgiving means you get to a point, and it shouldn't take you too long, that you believe God's heard your prayer. Granted your request, so we're not asking anymore. What are we doing? We're thanking him, which indicates faith. You're getting into faith now. Watch about the language. I need, I need, I've got to have. There's fear in these statements. Not faith. Doesn't help you at all to say 50 times a day, we've got to get this. We've got to have this. That's hurting you. You could use the same breath and say, we will have it. Come on, y'all with me. We'll have it. Instead of we need it, we got to have it. No, we'll have it. The Lord supplies all our needs. Amen. We've given. It'll be given back to us. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. I've got to have it won't help you. It'll hurt you. I need it. I need it. I want it. I want it. Won't help you. No faith in this. Let's keep reading. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Keep going. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Doesn't that sound better to you than worry and anxiety? The peace of God. That passes understanding. Now this reveals to you. It's supernatural. Jesus said. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. You can't find this. In any religion. Any other group. Any psychology. You can't find it in any drug. You can't get it. By spending enough. It is unavailable. 
through any natural or mental means. It is a peace that passes understanding. That you are at peace when it makes no sense to the observer for you to be at peace. It passes on. People look at you and go, it's been too much for them. They've, they've overloaded. Look at them. They're sitting there with a smile on their face. Don't know how much trouble they're in. No, no, uh-uh. You've made a choice not to sit there and loop the problem and let it just play over and over in your mind and talk about it over and over and talk with other people over and over. You've said, no, no, that's not going to help us. We know somebody who can fix this. Is that right? Maybe I can't fix it. You can't fix it. But I know somebody. Come on, say, I know somebody. I, I know somebody. I know somebody who knows it all, who can do it all. And he told me what to do. He said, when you get in a situation, don't be anxious about any of it. Don't be fearful about it. Pray to me about it. Start thanking me about it. And you can tell you're on the right track because the peace will start coming on you. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. The peace of God that passes understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What a better way of living. A superior godly way of living. Verse 8. So you do that and the peace of God comes. Verse 8 is how you keep the peace of God so it doesn't go away. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, somebody say true. true. Whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of Good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, do what? Does it matter what's happening with your mind? Think on these things. Here's the list. Honest. What if it's not honest? Don't think about it. What if it's not just or fair? Don't think about it. What if it's not pure? What if it's ugly and impure. Don't think. Come on. Give me the right answer. What? Don't think about it. What if it's not lovely? Well, that eliminates a bunch of stuff. Right there. You go, that ain't lovely. I'm not thinking about that. What if it's a bad report? Do most Christians practice this? No. <laughs> can you? Yes, you can. Should you? Well, do we want something to change? Or to stay the same and get worse. Think on the good report. Do we have a good report? No matter what kind of reports we got out here, do we have a good report in the good book? We do. Think about that report. If it's virtuous, think on it. If it's praiseworthy, think on it. Think on these things. Think on these things. The scripture said in Isaiah, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. It requires mental discipline to be a faith person. You can't just let your mind wonder and think on anything that comes across it. You've got to get hold of your mind and say, no, uh-uh, change the channel. Focus on this. And if something tries to come to you, the scripture says, casting down imaginations. You got to grab it and slap it down. Somebody say slap it down. Slap it down. Slap it down. Had a was teaching on this some years ago and a guy came to me afterwards. He said, Brother Keith, I got this. I got this. What every mind needs is a bouncer at the door. He's a bouncer. Well, that's, he's talking about his background, I guess. A bouncer at the door. But he's right. He's right. When thoughts come knocking on your door, you say, this is a private club. You look through the, you look through the, you say, 
Who are you? Oh, oh you're not lovely. No, you're not on, you're not on the list. So you're not coming. You can't get in. I'm not letting you in my mind. I'm not going to think on you because you're not on the list. You're not true. You're not honest. You're not worth praising. You're not virtuous. Very unlovely. No. No. Not on the list. Can't get in. Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Bringing into captivity every thought. Someone say every thought. Does every thought matter? It does. Romans says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Does it matter what you think on? How much does it matter? According to Romans, it's life and death. Most folks don't believe that. But that's what the Bible says. Now go with me to 1 Peter, please. Now, excuse me, I didn't read the last verse here. Read verse 9, goes with it. If you do this, if you think on these things, the things which you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Can you see? You got the peace of God by choosing not to worry and praying and thanking, but then you chose to keep your mind on the right things, and the peace stays with you. Come on, can you see that? God of peace is with you day in, day out. Go to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, 1 Peter 5. And if I keep preaching on the text like this, how do we get to the rest? But you know, I don't mind if you don't. 1 Peter 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's a colons, not the finishing of the thought. Casting all your care upon him. And, and again, this word care could be translated anxiety or anxiousness or worry. For he cares for you, a different word. But what, what would that have to do with humbling yourself? One of the reasons people continue to worry, even when they know it's bad, is because they're not acknowledging that this is beyond them. They're still acting like they can fix it. They can do something, whether they mean to be acting like that, uh, to have it, to be carrying it night and day, um, and continue to try to, you know, worry it into being fixed, is acting like you can do something you can't do. That's not humility. Humility will acknowledge, this is beyond me. And so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give it to somebody who can do something with it. Casting all your anxiety, your worries, your cares on him. Throwing it on him, for he cares for you. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He cares for you. Casting all your care. Well, if you're careful anxious for nothing, and you cast all your anxiety on him, how much care do you have? None. But you would have the peace of God. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 2. Now these things, friends, even though you hear them, and they're clear to you, in a service like this, you have to remind yourself of them tomorrow and the next day and the next day and be a doer of it because cares will come. You don't care who you are, how long you walk with the Lord, what you think you know, how much you pray, they will still come. And it'll be your choice how you respond to them, whether you receive them. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6 kept saying, take no thought. Don't take that thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? So even if you did good today and the thoughts came and you didn't take them, well, tomorrow's a new day, right? Next week's a new new time and, and maybe this didn't mean as much to you as something happens next month. And this means more to you than that and you're more tempted to worry and fear. Every day is a new day. We've got to remind ourselves of these things. 
Here he said to, uh, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep going. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Now, uh, Timothy is uh, obviously been going through some stressful times. And he's been crying. He's been vexed. He's been upset. And uh, obviously, the Spirit of God through Paul is indicating he already has an answer. Because <laughs> he's talking about being filled with joy. How many know God can see the victory when you're still not sure what the battle is? <laughs> right? <laughs> Verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother, I know some people say Eunice, I think it's pronounced Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in you also. He said, Timothy, you've got a, a faith in you, and it's a real faith that was in your mother. And in your grandmother. You know, that's what you need to know and come back to no matter how stressful the situation is. You've got somebody in you, the greater one, and you've got something of God in you, the faith of God, that's more than enough to deal with this. Whether you feel like it or not, He's there and it's there in every situation. Do you believe it, saints? Is anything too big for the Lord? Well, He's in you. He's the greater one. And He's in you. Come on, sit out loud. The greater one lives in me. And you remember Romans talks about this. If God is for us, who can be, and you could interject successfully be, against you? Well, somebody would have to be bigger than God. And we can't find anybody like that, right? <laughs> In the book of Isaiah, some of the writings of the prophet, it's, it's almost humorous to me. The Lord said, uh, is there any other God? He said, I know not of any. Well, aren't you omniscient? Yeah. You don't know of any other gods? No. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> it's divine humor. <laughs> There is nobody bigger than God. Can we agree on that? There's nobody bigger than the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's in you. He's in me. So why can't we overcome these little piddly situations on earth with the, the spirit of the greater one living inside us and a faith that is the very faith of God? Keep reading. Verse 6. I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you, by the putting on of my hands. So whatever God has put in you, including that genuine faith, including whatever anointings and graces, if you are dormant with it, it can settle to the bottom like uh, tea leaves in the pitcher, or sugar, let's say. With sweet tea. I'm from the south, okay? <laughs> but if the sugar has all settled to the bottom, what do you need to do? Yeah, this is not a trick question, guys, in the back. It's, what do you need to do? You, you need to. Is that right? Stir it up. Get it swirling real good. And what will happen, it will come off the bottom. And it will come all the way up to the top. Throughout the whole thing. And that's what he's saying. You, he said, uh, Timmy, you need to stir up what's in you, boy. Stir it up. Somebody say, stir it up. Stir it. Stir it. You know, the Bible said David, in one of the worst times of their lives, when their home was burnt to the ground and their wives and children and everything they had stolen and taken away, and they cried till they couldn't cry anymore, and, and his men is threatening him to stone him. 
The Bible said in the middle of that, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we know he stirred himself up because you read some of his Psalms. He'd say, he'd talk to himself. He'd say, so? Why are you cast down? <laughs> How many know you need to talk to yourself? Right? You may need to get, get yourself by the ear. Is that right? Pull yourself over the mirror and say, hey, boy, what are you doing? God's been too good to you. Moping around like this. You know God's bigger than this situation. You know he is. So stir yourself up. Stir up what's in you because faith is in you. Victory is in you. Anointing is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Right? Somebody say stir it up. Stir, stir it up. Stir it up and you'll get stirred up. Next thing you know, you'll quit moping and crying and you'll start talking faith. Start talking victory. Right? Start talking about who's inside you. What's going on. How he always causes me to triumph. Start talking about we're going to pay every bill. We're going to pay off every debt. Every symptom is changing. and With long life, he'll satisfy me. Show me his salvation. That's the opposite of laying down, crying, feeling sorry for yourself. Now, if you lay down and quit, you know what's going to happen. You're going down. You're going under. It's going to get worse and worse. But faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Stir it up. Somebody say stir it up. Now look at this next verse. I read all this to to get to this. Verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, which is what all worry is. All worry is fear. No exception. Thing is, there are many different degrees of fear. There's mild dread, and there's full-blown panic. And there's everything in between. And worry is a manifestation of fear. Worrying is yielding to fear. Now you've done it and I've done it. But how about let's stop? How about let's stop? Let's identify fear. Let's learn to identify it in all its varied forms. And the moment we identify it, we say, no, no, in Jesus' name, no. Anybody remember the 23rd Psalm? The Lord quickened this to me as a boy. I'm, I don't guess I was preteen, you know. I, I might have been nine, ten years old. I don't know. But everybody, kids, everybody has dealt with some kind of fear sometime or another. And uh, I forget what it was. Something was bothering me and scaring me. And the Lord brought to my remembrance the 23rd Psalm that I had learned in Sunday school class as a little boy. Now, I didn't know anything about the principles of faith like we talk about now, but the Holy Spirit knows what to say to you and where your understanding is. And this is the phrase that came up to me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Did you hear that phrase? And for some reason that just stuck out to me and I just kept saying it. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. What I didn't realize, the Spirit of God's leading me to do this. I'm resisting fear and didn't even know I was supposed to. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. It's one of the great benefits of coming to church and hearing some words. Of reading your chapter on a regular basis, right? Getting some word in you. Because how's the Lord going to bring to your remembrance something you never knew? Something you you never heard. That would take a miracle manifestation. He does that too. But that's not the common way things happen. So if you could ever hear it and grasp it and appreciate it, then the Lord will bring it back to you when you need it and quicken it to you. And so I just begin to say, I I felt 
fear. I, I felt panic on me. I don't even remember what it was about. But the Spirit of God quickened me. I remember this. I began to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I got stuck on that phrase. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. I won't fear. I won't fear. Today I would say, fear I resist you. I refuse to fear. But I was in essence doing it by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the enemy will, will try to trick you into bringing thoughts of very slight fear. Mild dread. Have you ever just dreaded something? You don't have to raise your hand. Every one of you just <laughs> dread something. Well, if you think about that, and you think about what are you doing, you have received anxiety. And you, you could put a smile on your face, and a lot of people might not even know it, but it's there bothering you. It's to be cast down. It's to be resisted. And one of the reasons we should immediately and definitely resist it is because God didn't give it to us. Well, if God didn't give it to us, where did it come from? The bouncers done let something in the door. Is that right? That wasn't on the list. Come on. Verse, what is it, seven here? God, said out loud, God, God has, not has not given me, given me the, spirit of fear. the spirit of fear. Will fear come to you? Yes, yes it will. Will it try to get on you? Yes. Will it try to come back a hundred times in a day? Will it yes. try to yes. persist you and, and bug you? Will it try to disguise itself? Yes. Mild, slight dread. And, uh, we know full-blown panic is fear, but there's a lot of different shades and degrees of it. But none of it, come on, say none of it. None of it came from God. I don't know if you heard that or not. This will change your um, theology. If you really get a hold of this, this will undo a lot of junk that people have come to believe. God wants you to honor Him and respect Him, and you should. He doesn't want you to be scared of him like you're scared of a poisonous snake or tornado or something like that. I mean, what father and good mother would want their children afraid to even hug them or be around them? But people teach what they call the fear of God. And it's not the reverential honor that the word is talking about. They're trying to say God sent some fear to you. And I, I've seen on church signs. A little fear is good. A little fear is good for you. Protect you. Oh, no, I read this on the church sign. I strongly disagree. How about y'all? I, I strongly disagree. So I want you to say it out loud. You know, you, you got people's ideas and their thoughts and their sayings and their isms. And then you got the immutable, unchangeable, perfect truth of the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away and everybody's goofy ideas with it. But the word of God is going to stay forever. This will still be true a million years from now. Ten million years from now, it won't change. Come on, say it out loud. My God, my Father has not given me the spirit of fear. This includes, an accurate translation of this is the spirit of timidity. Timidity. A lot of times people are crippled. In situations, they, they, they just say, well, I'm so bashful, I'm just timid. That's fear, child of God. You don't have to have it. E even as a young one. So, well, I can't get up in class and, and read a report. You need to get delivered from that. Amen. Nobody said you had to be a public speaker, but you shouldn't be afraid. Because yes. God didn't give you that fear. Amen. 
And if you have it and you're nursing it and it's staying with you decade after decade, where did it come from? Why do you still have it? When you got the good shepherd with you, you can say, I refuse to fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing, nothing bad, no evil. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Oh, somebody say sound mind, sound mind. That's a stable mind. That's a peaceful mind. That's a healthy mind. Somebody say sound mind. Sound mind. Notice next time you hear, and I hope you don't play them on your own, but most of the common pop music, I mean, I don't, I don't know, 75% of it? will have something about being or going crazy or losing your mind. What's what I'm talking about. It is all through common poetry and song, rap, whatever. You'll hear people talking about losing my mind because it rhymes with something else. Going crazy. Crazy, losing my mind, and people think, ain't that cool? Don't you like that beat? Oh man, it's got a good feel to it. And don't realize the devil has put in your mouth that you're going crazy and losing your mind, which if you do it long enough and heartfelt enough, gives him access to start making it come to pass. You don't care how much you like the beat. <laughs> don't say you losing your mind exactly. come on y'all with me yes. don't say you're going crazy when the Bible says you have the mind of Christ and if the Lord didn't give you the spirit of fear gave you the spirit of power love and sound mind I have a sound mind come on somebody say I have a sound mind I have a sound mind I don't know if you noticed, but in Deuteronomy 28, part of the curse for breaking God's law was being crazed in the wits and being full of fear and terror. Well, why talk about that? Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so walking with the Lord, you never have to lose your mind. That's right. That's right. I say it once in a while. You know, you'll hear people talk about the percentages of this and percentages of that. We'll get this or we'll get this mental deficiency or brain disease or this other. And man, if it crosses my mind for any length of time, I'm liable to just come right out and say, I will never lose my mind. Is that right? By the grace of God? I will. But see, can you see the enemy's trying to sow a seed of fear? And if he can get you fearful and going, oh, well, they, nobody else wanted it to happen either, you know. You just never know. You just never know. You are fearful of it. And there's a principle of fear that the thing you fear can come on you. It opens the door to it spiritually and can actually draw it to you like a magnet. But I like what this says. God didn't give me the spirit of fear. Man, if we just said this all week, it would help you tremendously. Say it out loud. God did not give me the spirit of fear. Well, if he didn't give it to me, I don't have to have it. Is that right? I'm not going to receive it and I'm not going to keep it. He didn't give it to me. He gave me the spirit of power. I like that. Spirit of love. And of a sound mind. My, my, my. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to go back to uh, Isaiah, 53rd chapter. Isaiah 53, anybody read Isaiah 53 before? You got some verses marked over there? Isaiah 53, 1. It says, who has believed our report? 
And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now this is quoted in Romans in the same passage where it says faith comes by hearing. And the answer to the uh, second question is the answer to the first question. The arm of the Lord is the power of the Lord. To whom is the power of the Lord revealed? It's the one who believes the report of the Lord. Verse 2. For he, and this is a prophecy of Jesus. This is the Spirit of God giving Isaiah a vision. Seeing centuries later, Jesus and the cross and the act of redemption, but not seeing it in the natural, seeing it in the spirit. And this is significant because there's much more to what happened with Jesus than physically being nailed to the cross or physically being whipped at the scourging post. That was terrible. But if that was the complete thing, was what happened to him physically, there's actually been a lot of people that have endured worse physically. Torture. <laughs> I know people don't like you to say that, but is it true or not? Yeah. People have been dismembered. People have been tortured for days and weeks. I mean, it's not a bone of his was broken. I'm going to say, are you, you belittling what happened? No, I'm saying the bigger part of it happened in the realm you couldn't see. That was terrible. It was bad. But if all you think happened was the physical, you're missing the biggest part. And Isaiah is seeing in the spirit what happened. Not the outside, but in the spirit. And... Uh, We'll skip down to, to verse 3 here. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He came into his own, his own received him not. The religious leaders who claimed to believe in him and studied the scriptures every day rejected him and crucified him. Verse 4. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The people that mocked and railed against Jesus on the cross, they were implying that God was punishing him through the crucifixion. Verse 5, but the truth is he was wounded for our transgressions. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was bruised for our iniquities. Nothing that was happening on the cross was happening for Jesus. It was happening for us. He never committed a sin. He didn't have any sins to pay for or to be judged for. So why is he there being judged for our sins? Come on, somebody say, he was wounded. For my transgressions. He was bruised. For my iniquities. Notice this next one. The chastisement. Of our peace. Was on him. Upon him. And with his stripes. We are healed. Hallelujah. Nothing that happened. On the cross. Was. Coincidence, chance are beyond Jesus' control. Nothing that happened during that mock trial and scourging and mocking and crucifixion and any of it was redundant nor unnecessary. Everything that happened happened to redeem an area for us. Something happened to him for our peace. Can you see that? For our peace. In, don't turn there, but in John 10, Jesus said, in John 10:18, 
He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus was not a helpless victim when they came to get him and take him away and eventually nailed him to the cross. He was not a helpless victim. He allowed them to do it. And in case there was any question about it, do you remember when they first got there to take him in the garden? And he said, who you're looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. They all fell on the ground. But why is this? It's a demonstration. You can't take me unless I let you. Can you see that? Well, why? I mean, if going to the cross, being nailed to the cross, took care of everything, why go through the other? Why be scourged at the whipping post? Why endure the mocking and all the other things? Is it redundant? Or is it significant? Each thing that happened did something for us. For instance, by his stripes, we are what? That's not being nailed to the cross. That's something else. They scourged him before he was nailed to the cross. A lot of people died from that alone. From the scourging. You were, you were stripped and tied to a post with your back stretched out. And you were beat with elements that could tear the flesh. And people bled to death from some of these beatings. And died right there. Why did he endure that? Why did he go through that? Well the Bible tells us. By his stripes. By the beating that he took. There's healing to us. We're healed. Hallelujah. Did he buy it? Did he pay for it? Well there's something else that happened. He was mocked. And spit upon. And a crown of thorns was woven and jammed onto his head. Well, the thorns then would pierce down into his scalp. And after that, they they gave him a reed and put a robe on him. This is to depict that he is a king, a mock king. That's what was the big deal. As they said, he said he's a king and If you say you're a king, you're a threat to Caesar, and that's how they convinced Pilate to give the death sentence. And so he's got this robe on, and he's already been, you know, scourged and beaten and bleeding, and he's got these thorns stuck down into his his head, and they take the reed from him and hit him on the head with it. What's that about? Unnecessary? Helpless victim? No. Something's happening here. It's not for him. It's for us. Right? What's happening for us? The chastisement of our peace was on him. I don't think it's a coincidence. I know it's not a coincidence that this is on his head. Let let me read uh, from another translation of Isaiah 53.5. Isaiah 53.5 in the NIV. 53.5 NIV says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Why don't you say that out loud? The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And he goes on to say, and by his wounds, we are healed. Oh, thank you, Lord. See, again, Isaiah's not seeing the outside. He's not seeing the physical. He's seeing what happened in spirit. He's seeing by the spirit. This was centuries before this, this came to pass. The BBE says a similar thing. The basic English, it says it was for our sins he was wounded. For our evil doings he was crushed. He took the punishment by which we have peace. And by his wounds we are made well. In verse 8 the King James says. For the transgression of my people 
was he stricken. Everything that was happening there was he was taking our place, taking the judgment, the punishment that should come on us for all our failures and transgressions and sins and mistakes. He's taken them. And amazingly, by faith, he's taking all of it for all generations past, present, and future. That's why Isaiah, seeing in the Spirit in the same passage, says in the next chapter, his form and his visage was marred more than any man. Well, physically, that didn't happen. There, like I said, there's people that's been deformed and dismembered. And all, but spiritually, it did happen. All the sin, all the failure, all the rebellion, all the, the evil the human beings have committed for all generations, past, present, and future, converged on him at once. And he became sin. The Bible said, and the judgment of God fell on him. And he cried out, you remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But none of it was for him. It was our transgressions. Come on, can you see this? It was our iniquities. What was he doing for us? What did he get for us? Yes, he got forgiveness of sin. But he got other things too. We know he got healing. Right? What else did he get? He got peace. Did he get peace or did he get peace? I want you to remember something that we talked about. Go with me. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but it seems like you're catching it. Right? (laughs) Luke 8. Notice this. Luke 8, 7 in the parable of the sword. We spent a whole session on this not long ago. Luke 8, 7 said, some fell among what? Thorns. And the thorns sprang up with the word and did what? Choked it. Verse 14 gives the interpretation of this. Jesus said, that which fell among thorns... Are they which when they have heard, they go forth and are choked with what? Another word for thorns is cares. Anxious care. Anxiety. And also riches and pleasures of this life bring no fruit to perfection. Cares, covetousness, and only seeking your own comfort. All these three areas can choke the word out of your life. But they're depicted by what? Thorns. A thorn, the literal meaning of it is sharp. A point. A point that pierces. And there is some of the worst torment and agony on the planet is mental anguish. Isn't it? Mental anguish. And it pierces down into your mind and it causes pain and anguish. But, child of God, you never have to have it again. Oh, did you hear that or not? Child of God, you never have to endure mental anguish again. And, And it doesn't matter the cause of the mental anguish. You might say, yeah, but I, I messed up so bad. I betrayed, I lied, I failed, I have so much regret. The Lord knew that, and he bore that too. I said he bore it too. That's part of what was going on at the cross. All through that, the, the mocking, the scourging, it covered all of it. Jesus did not obtain a partial redemption for us. He went to the cross, to the scourging post. He went to the heart of the earth, spirit, soul, mind, body. He redeemed us. Spirit, soul, mind, body. Did he or not? When he said it is finished, do you believe? It was and is finished. 
Is there anything he didn't pay for? Is there anything he didn't take care of? Nothing. Nothing. And when he tells you and I, don't be anxious about anything. It's not just empty exhortation. He's saying, I took it. I bore the anguish. I paid the price for your peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I paid the price for your peace. Come on, say, he paid the price. He paid the price for my peace. Glory to God. Glory to God. He paid the price for my peace. If it's paid for, certainly he doesn't want to see me in anguish, scared, upset, shaken, vexed, tormented, which is why he didn't say try. He gave us a command. He said, don't you be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. You cast all your cares over on me. And don't you take any anxious thought or worried concern. Don't take it. Don't receive it. Go to John 14th chapter. Let me remind you. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Next time you feel upset and vexed and worried and it starts coming on you, I want you to remember that they plaited a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they took a reed and they smote him on the head with it. Is he enduring this abuse for no reason? Because he's a helpless victim? Because now he's got to go to the cross. What's he doing this for? He's already, he, he went to the scourging post. Was that unnecessary? What's he doing it for? He's redeeming every part of our existence. Every part of our being. Every part of our life. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The punishment to obtain our peace was on him. Isaiah saw it. He saw the wounds that got our healing He saw the crushing and piercing that got our forgiveness and cleansing. He saw it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He saw it in the spirit. And it's written down for us to shout about. Glory to God. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be vexed and tormented. Even if I've done a lot of things that you might have regret for, I'm either forgiven or I'm not. I'm either cleansed or I'm not. The Lord either took it or he didn't. Did he take that too? Did he take all of it? Then does he want me taking it again? Bearing it again? Then what good would it do for him to take it? If I'm going to bear it again anyway. He took it so I wouldn't have to take it. So I could have what I don't deserve, but what he's freely given, the peace of God that passes understanding. Keeping my heart and my mind no matter the situation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I can have this pleasant smile (laughs) on my face. Peace and joy. And people may look at you and think it passes understanding what's wrong with you. Do you not understand how much trouble you're in? Do you not know? I know. But I know something maybe you hadn't found out yet. Jesus took it. He took that mental anguish. He took that anxiety. He took the punishment for all that. So I could have his peace. He didn't give me the spirit of fear. Fear, 1 John says, fear has torment. He didn't give me the spirit of fear and its accompanying torment. He gave me power, love, and and a sound Mind, come on, come on! I want you to tell your neighbor, say, "I have a sound mind. I have a, I have a sound." If something's sound, what is it? It's strong. It's stable. It's good. It's right. It's not rotten. It's sound. It's not messed up. It's sound. It's not bad. It's good. Never grab your head and go, I don't know what's wrong. What's wrong with my head? What's wrong with my brain? I must be going crazy. See, you've been listening to that dumb song again. 
about losing your mind. Am I telling the truth? I mean, these songs are full of it. Is that a coincidence? No. No. See, the devil is weaving his junk in popular stuff. And he wants to get it in your mouth. Because if he can get it in your mouth, he can start doing it in your life. He works with your words. Bad ones, just like the Lord works with our good words. Never say you've got problems with your mind. Never, ever say you're dumb. We tell our little ones, I'm quick. I'm sharp. I'm bright. I'm what? Good looking. Very rich. And a major blessing. Why would you say anything else? Why would you say anything else? Got a sound mind. In, in John 14 verse 1. What did Jesus say? This, this is right before he left now. This is a very short amount of time. Before they are whacking him in the head. With that crown of thorns on his head. What did he say? Let not your heart be troubled. Well, that's a big statement. Yeah, but what about this or what about that? He didn't make any exceptions. Understood subject is you. You don't let your heart be troubled. What do you do? You believe in God. You believe in me. You choose faith, not fear. Verse 27. In case you didn't get it the first time, he said it again. And he's telling you how you can do it. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. He's leaving this curse-filled place. But the peace he walked in, he left it for us. Not a peace similar to his peace. His own personal peace that he walked in. When he's on the earth, he says, here, I want you to walk in this. My peace, I'm giving you, not as the world gives it. You can't find this in the world. But then he comes back to our responsibility. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid, revealing it's a choice. It's a choice whether we're troubled and afraid because it's a choice what we let ourselves listen to or look at, or think on. The peace of God. Jesus' very own peace. It also says, Scripture says, we have the mind of Christ. Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. I have the mind of Christ. I want you to say it out loud. I have the mind of Christ. I have the peace of Christ. Hallelujah. Well, of course, that's a sound mind, right? His, it's his mind. It's his peace. How in the world could me, not knowing what I don't know and all the mistakes I've made, how, how could I get the peace of Jesus and the mind of Jesus? How? Because he took my place and took my anguish and my vexation and gave me his peace. How could he do that? Jesus was not worried about sins he had committed. He's not experiencing anguish and torment about his personal failures and mistakes. He didn't have them. So how did that come on him? He received it. He received it by faith. How do you receive peace that you didn't earn, that you didn't deserve? Same way you receive the righteousness of God. You didn't earn the righteousness. You receive it. Same way you receive forgiveness and cleansing. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you can sure receive it. I I resist fear. And I receive the peace. When you feel troubled and upset. You need to stop and say. Fear I resist you. Get out of here. Leave me in Jesus name. And then say I receive peace. I receive by faith. You got to say it before you feel it. I received the peace of God. I received the peace that passes understanding. It keeps, that peace keeps my heart. It keeps my mind. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The sound mind, the mind of Christ. Praise God. 
Some great things are going on. Hallelujah. People are getting delivered from vexation and torment. I can sense it. I, I perceive it. Hallelujah. In this room and watching online, it's happening. It'll happen later when people who aren't even watching the service watch it later. Do you believe that? The Spirit of God will be right there. Six months from now, people will watch this. And fear will come off of them. And they'll get stirred up. And they'll say, no, you don't. No, you don't. I'm not going to think on this. I'm not going to yield to this. Fear I resist you. Get out of here. And I receive the peace of God. I receive it. I lay hold of it. Hallelujah. I have a sound mind. I have the mind of the anointed one. The, the mind of Christ. The peace of God. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.